Chapter Twenty of East by West: A Journey in the Recess, Volume Two, by Henry W. Lucy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty: An Elephant Ride. Jaipur is perhaps the prettiest town in India, as its men are certainly the handsomest. There is none of the manifold races of India, not excepting the Sikhs, which has a prouder history than the Rajputs. They date their ancestry back to the sun god, the Hindu Apollo, whose ideal type of manly beauty is well preserved in his descendants of today. To be six feet high is the normal condition of manhood in Jaipur, and it would not be difficult for the Raja, if he were so minded, to have a bodyguard of giants averaging six feet four. The Rajputs have always been soldiers from the time they came down, a Scythian horde, and swarmed over the Himalayas to take possession of the fertile plains. They were ever a thorn in the side of the Mughal conquerors. Akbar, attracted by their chivalry, made friends with them, and they gladly did battle for him. But they were always at war with the proselytizing meddlesome Aurangzeb, and took their full share in bringing about the dismemberment of the Mughal Empire. Whilst the great majority of the native states of India have been merged in the British Empire, Rajputana still maintains a kind of complementary independence, and lodges its sovereign prince in royal state at Jaipur. Though there is no more fighting to be done, Afghans, Persians, Moslems, and Maharatas all being gathered into the British fold, where the lion lies down with the lamb, the Rajput still carries his sword. Driving about the outskirts of Jaipur, we did not find a single man unarmed. The common labourers, weighed down with burdens they carried to and from the city, always found a loose hand for their sword, a good serviceable weapon with a small hilt capable of being firmly gripped they were not content to sling the sword to their belt but carried it in their hand as if peradventure an enemy lurked at the next turning jaipur stands upon a plain surrounded by hills grateful to the eyes wearied with the level stretch of country from benares to delhi the streets are unusually wide and full of life and colour. Strange to say, the women are not handsome above the average, the type of beauty being retained only in the male line, but they are graceful in figure and delight in gay colours. As elsewhere in India, daily life is carried on out of doors, the broad long streets lending fuller effect to the picturesque scene. Jaipur is a great agricultural centre, and along the pavement are strewn heaps of grain of beautiful colours, from soft greens to golden yellows. It is not likely that they were spread there with aesthetic purpose, but nobody seemed to buy, and they made a rarely beautiful street decoration. Dyeing is a great business in Jaipur. The cloths, orange, rose colour, pale green, yellow, and deep crimson, are, of course, dried out of doors. As they come from the dyer's hands, the womenkind of the family take them up, spread them out at full length, and wave them hither and thither in the summer air to dry. Glancing down the street and seeing a dozen groups thus engaged, 
it looks like some graceful scarf dance which the women are engaged in out of sheer idleness love of bright colours and of languorous movement through the throng in the broad streets glide troops of camels of a much finer breed than we have been accustomed to see they move forward with head well up lower lip dropped and eyes cast down under half-closed lids imparting to their visage a comical don't know ya air camels do the principal porterage of jaipur but there are also in use a remarkably fine breed of oxen standing fully sixteen hands high former mahomedan supremacy has left its trace in the considerable sprinkling of moslem women to be met with in the streets these are recognisable by their dress the principal article of which is a pair of trousers tight from knee to ankle but otherwise loosely made superinducing an uneasy feeling that they are gradually coming down the rajput women of hindu faith dress much more than their sisters in bombay in that populous city the garb of the women is based on the model of miss nelly farren's favourite costume in gaiety burlesque a strip of cloth wound round the waist and probably reaching the feet when hanging loose is caught up between the legs and fastened in waistband at the back leaving the swarthy limbs exposed downward from above the knee the dress is indeed much the same as the coolies wear and is contrived in the same dexterous fashion out of a single straight length of cloth the rajput women wear full petticoats coming down to their ankles affording endless opportunity for display of colour they sit on the pavement weaving cloth with a simple wheel and a little basket aglow with the colour of many threads one of the commonest sights is two women grinding at a mill quote, as they were in the days of no and so shall be at the coming of the son of man when one shall be taken and the other left the palace of the maharaja is situated upon the outskirts of the town farthest removed from the railway it is a poor place a kind of lowther arcade furnished from tottenham court road of late years the maharaja has built his soul a lordly dwelling-place which is if possible worse than the older wing it is a lofty white building all bay windows and balconies apparently built in emulation of a modern hotel at margate on the sea there is nothing in india more pitiful than these ill-disciplined endeavours of historic princes to graft european furniture upon oriental life the place swarms with retainers who parcel out visitors among themselves in too ingenious fashion one solemnly conducts the visitor to the billiard-room fancy visiting the home of the lineal descendant of the sun-god to be shown a billiard-room with cues markers shaded lights and benches round the walls as may be found and enjoyed in an english hotel having steeped his soul in barbaric splendour of the slate table and shaded his eyes from the oriental glamour of the cues the stranger is handed over to another attendant who takes him to a reception-room with furniture tottenham court road massed in the centre as if there had been a ball yesterday or were to be one to-night there was a third attendant whose special preserve was a drawing-room 
with axminster carpets on the floor glass chandeliers pendant from the ceiling a marble console table some bow-legged chairs and many mirrors i looked in at the door turned and fled with the three attendants after me each demanding backsheesh passing through a courtyard i saw a group of men squatted on the pavement who broke the horrid nightmare and relieved the place from the aspersion of an ambitiously genteel furnished lodging-house all wore flowing robes crowned with turbans of many colours they were playing a game something like draughts except that the chessboard made of embroidered cloth was shaped like a maltese cross four men played a dozen looked on before a player made a move he threw over one limb of the cross three oblong-shaped dice i could not get any inkling of the game but an essential part of it evidently was that each time the dice was thrown the assembled company players and spectators must proceed to conduct themselves as if murder were imminent faces grew black as thunder eyes flashed under beetling turbans frantic gesticulations were made with both hands and everybody shouted at the top of his voice the storm ceased as suddenly as it had commenced and amid dead silence the man who had thrown the dice moved one of the counters on the cloth then the next man took up the dice threw them over a limb of the cross and once more murder was the matter this alternation of riot and silence proceeded with unvaried regularity during the ten minutes i stood and watched but nobody was killed the outbreaks prolonged the game but added zest jaipur like delhi has its half-ruined and deserted palaces in earlier days when the rajputs were always on the warpath their sovereign lived in a half-palace half-fortress perched on a rock some six miles out of the present capital a m b e r pronounced ambier is to be approached with convenience only on an elephant the hill on which it stands being too steep for carriage traffic the maharaja courteously placed an elephant at our disposal the rendezvous being fixed for a spot four miles out of the town where the steep ascent begins driving through the town evidence of the lofty scorn of the rajput for the so-called triumphs of civilization was amusingly displayed on a wall some local artists had drawn nearly life-size an animated group in the near foreground was an express train running at full speed in the air overhead perspective not having entered into the study of the artist was an elephant with four men in the howdah the elephant was passing along vent a terre and was easily beating the express train elephant first the rest nowhere was the motto unwritten but expressed of this spirited drawing it was in this street that later in the day i came upon an artist in sweetmeats he was modelling out of a kind of toffee various figures chiefly native but he had gone further afield and produced an englishman unmistakably recognisable by the bottle held in his right hand a pipe in his left and a maudling look on his face 
the way to ambir after we had passed through the broad streets set at right angles like an american town lay along sandy roads cactus bordered and for the most part under the shadow of great trees on the right was a range of hills crowned with white-walled castles we met processions of women walking into the town carrying on their heads loads of fuel composed chiefly of dung which would have been better disposed of if dug into the land it is their poverty not their will consents fuel is scarce and dear and this artificial compost serves its purpose we saw on the hillside men and women engaged in its preparation spreading it out to dry in the sun we passed our elephant on the way from the palace grunting discontentedly at this necessity for turning out in broiling midday to compliment the foreigner further acquaintance confirmed the opinion of his strong individuality he knelt down at the signal from his driver and we climbed up on his back by a ladder there was no partially enclosed and canopied howdah as is represented in popular pictures of elephant riding only a kind of pack-saddle whereon we sat sideways with feet dangling down and full opportunity of slipping off this is the usual way of riding in this district the elephant furnishing the outside car of india our elephant was rather artistically got up both his forehead and the enormous flaps of his ears being painted in blue and red patterns the motion was by no means pleasant under the hot sun there was never any mistake when he put his foot down i found that to begin with half an hour of an elephant is enough but our journey there and back involved a ride of an hour and a half the elephant had brought with him a copious supply of water which he tanked somewhere in his stupendous chops every ten minutes or oftener if he met a camel he inserted his trunk in the reservoir and brought out about a gallon of water with which waving his trunk to and fro he splashed his chest and the front of his forelegs a refreshing gust of spray rising up for the delectation of his fare we met many camels which involved lavish draughts on the reservoir but it was equal to the calls upon it and certainly lasted all the way back the camels were terribly afraid of the monster the supreme don't know ya air with which they passed through the town being changed at sight of the elephant for one that may be described as rather not know ya they invariably halted and cringed up to the hedge at the side of the road as hindus fresh from bathing in the ganges flatten themselves against the wall when a christian passes some of them sobbed in their fright as for the elephant he vastly enjoyed himself grunting with terrible import and emptying his tank with increased energy as the camel's knees shook and their piteous sighs broke forth i believe it was all a joke and that he liked to frighten them enjoying the spectacle of their abject terror the driver sat astride the elephant's neck armed with a kind of kitchen poker hooked at one end pointed at the other when the elephant became too demonstrative this poker was brought down on his skull with resounding whack did a leaf fall 
thor murmured drowsily turning over on his side when the earthly giant catching the god asleep smote him on his forehead with a bludgeon wielded with all his strength when the kitchen poker came down on the elephant's skull his snorting and watering were interrupted by a moment of reflection he seemed to come to the conclusion that a twig had fallen on his head of itself not much but it might presage the tumbling of a whole branch he therefore concluded to be quiet and watch but as certain as a camel appeared his propensity for practical joking overcame his caution there was more grunting a fresh shower renewed terror among the camels then more kitchen poker and the reascendancy of caution after climbing some distance over a hilly road sometimes provokingly dropped down on the other side of a crest we came to the outskirts of the deserted city the Futipur Sikri of the Rajas of Jaipur. The houses are for the most part lofty and commodious, rather palaces than hovels. They are partly inhabited by families who do not seem of the class able to pay rent. It is a steep climb to the castle through narrow, tortuous streets, overshadowed by people trees, from the boughs of which monkeys jabbered at us as we passed. There is nothing specially beautiful about the palace except its situation. It stands on a crest girdled with ruin-crowned hills. From the terrace there is a view through a gap showing a far-away plain, all yellow in the sunlight. Within, the principal treasures are a fine pair of brass gates, some brass-bound oak doors, and some good carving of marble but Ambir should certainly be visited before Agra. When we came down into the courtyard to remount our steed, we discovered him under the shade of a mighty people tree such as that under which Buddha sat and endured the pangs of his spiritual second birth. The driver giving him the signal to advance, he suddenly uplifted his trunk, wound it round a stout bough of the tree, and tore it off as if it were a leaf down came the kitchen poker but the elephant would move only at his own pace which was encumbered by the necessity of holding the bough under his foot whilst he tore off with his trunk the succulent green leaves we accomplished the return journey in safety and bade farewell to the elephant at the point where the carriage was waiting to take us back to jaipur as he ponderously moved off there was something in the back view of his hind legs irresistibly reminiscent of major o'gorman once member for waterford walking out of the house of commons to vote against the government End of chapter twenty